turn in your Bibles to Psalm 131. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, years ago when I first got to, to the Jackson area, it didn't happen at this church, but years ago when I first got to the Jackson area, um, this was at another church, somebody said, you know, Brad, I need to tell you something about spring break. Um, in the Jackson area, the, the only people that are left during spring break are rednecks and pastors. <laughs> so welcome. <laughs> We're in this together. I said, I'll, I said, I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, <laughs> all right, we have, uh, we get to pray, we get to read the Bible, we get to hear a sermon, um, and we get to uh, meet with one another at the Lord's table this morning. You know, the Apostle Paul had a lot to say about a lot of things. And you know the Apostle Paul's letters, and he has all kinds of priorities. But in one of his letters in Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, in, in chapter 1, verse 28, don't necessarily turn there, but in one of his letters, Colossians 1.28, he gets to the heart of his priorities for God's people, for us, for Christians, for disciples, for those who uh, really want to follow Christ, know Christ and follow Christ. And this is what he says in Colossians 1.28, he, Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone as fully mature in Christ. We, he's talking about teachers, ministers, disciples, so that we may present everyone as fully mature in Christ. And then he says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is what I passionately want for you, says Paul. I want you to be mature in Christ. That's the goal. Yeah, yes, I want you to be converted. I want you to be justified. I want you to be born again, but I also want you to be mature in Christ. Well, what is that? What does that look like? Where we're going to get a little taste of what I think that looks like in Psalm 131. We're actually going to go to the Old Testament, um, to a passage that uh, Charles Spurgeon, the famous Baptist pastor, uh, once said, this is one of the shortest psalms to read and one of the longest to learn. One of the shortest to read, one of the longest to learn. So let's turn there, and on this uh, rainy, contemplative, uh, time-changing day, let's stand this morning as I read God's Word, get some blood pumping. This is God's Word, Psalm 131, a song of a sense of David, O Lord. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great 
or too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Please be seated. Uh, That was God speaking, God's word. Now, this is David. David writing, God speaking, God using David. David, king, warrior, poet, leader of men in battle, leader of men and women as a king, first of all, being honest with himself about himself. Being honest with himself about himself. Secondly, he looks in the right places for fulfillment and comfort. He looks in the right places for fulfillment and comfort. And and then thirdly, he joins himself with those who do the same. He's honest with himself about himself. He looks in the right places for contentment, for comfort. And then he joins himself with those who are doing the same. Those who have the same priorities. Those who are seeking the same thing. Honesty about himself. He comes before the Lord and he says, Oh, Lord, (laughs) my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Some of us never get past this. I struggle with this. Am I really being honest about who I really am? Inside? Can you imagine if people could suddenly see you on the outside, what you really are on the inside? Some of us don't make it past this. Um, I have been, um, I've been reading again, and I'm reading a fascinating book about the oldest buildings in America. And they're all over. You might think naturally of missions in California or Texas or old buildings in, in New England. But old buildings are, are everywhere, buildings that were built in the 1600s, 1700s in America. I, I'm fascinated by sort of time-tested old stuff. And I've been reading this book lately about different old buildings. I'm fascinated. Who lived there? Who built it? How long did they live there? When did they leave? Why did they leave? What's it being used for now? Okay, maybe I'm weird, but I'm fascinated by things like that. Well, one of the buildings that's in this, this book is a building that I've actually visited, and it has a, they've given it a name. It's called the Old Manse, and it was built in 1770. And it's in the Concord, Lexington area of, of New England, Massachusetts. 
And um, we, I remember when Cindy and I, poor Cindy, I drag her all over the place to look at this kind of weird stuff. But, but we, we went to go visit this place and we parked and we saw the tour about to begin and we made it into the tour. And the, the man that was about to do the tour had a question for the group. And the first question was, what's a manse? Nobody knew. Didn't have a clue. I thought, oh, this is, I'm having a learning experience here. Nobody knew what a manse was. Not a single person knew what a manse was or is. And I think it was my, my wife who chimed up and enlightened everyone. A manse is where pastors live. Who, that pastor, you know, pastor churches, you know, churches that people go to and worship. Here's the irony. There was a man who lived, once lived in that house that actually helped to bring about this particular situation that we find ourselves in. You've heard, uh, you've heard his, his name. Probably his name was Ralph uh, Waldo Emerson. Ralph Waldo Emerson um, deliberately left the ministry because he could no longer in good conscience serve the Lord's table. And he no longer believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, but he wanted to, at the same time, be spiritual, be religious, have mysterious, mystical experiences. And here's how he described Jesus Christ. Now, when I read this, I'll just tell you, it it sounds like it could have been written last week. He says this, Jesus Christ was a prophet. He saw with open eye the mystery of the soul. Alone in all history, Jesus Christ estimated the true greatness of man. The Puritans in England and America, their creed is passing away and uh, no, no creed is arising in its place. I think no man can go into one of our churches without feeling that the hold that public worship once had on men is gone or going. In the country, neighborhoods, parishes, people are signing off It's already beginning to indicate character and religion to withdraw from public religious meetings. Let me admonish you, he says, go it alone. Find your own way. Go it alone. And he goes on. Mystery, religion, spirituality good. Things like what we're doing this morning, bad. Gathering in a church and worshiping and churches and institution and all that, not good. Find your own way. Find your own self. Actualize your own self and express yourself. Sound familiar? It goes back to Emerson and before. Contrast this with King David. Again, warrior, poet, leader. 
honesty, humility, recognizing he's not infinite, he's not all-knowing, it's not all about him. Now, this is not an excuse to avoid uh, irresponsibility or to not be obedient to what the Lord commands us to do. It's a recognition of who we really are at the deepest level. Who am I really? Uh, your spouse knows. Your closest friends know. And even more so, the Lord knows. David knows. David knows. Now, right around the corner, we're going to be moving into a, a time of, don't you love this time of year? We're, we're about to hit the commencement address season of whatever level. And a few years ago, a man named David McCullough Jr., if you've heard of David McCullough, the, the historian, well, this is his son, who, who taught at a, I think he's, I'm not sure that he's still there, but he taught at a, a very good school, and he's speaking here to high school students. And he spoke to high school students, and, and, and I say speaking here because it became a book. This address went viral. It was recorded, it went on YouTube, it went viral, and it became a book. And the title of the book is, You Are Not Special and other encouragements. And he's speaking to very, he's speaking, I'll just tell you, he's kind of a blue-bloody, very accomplished group of folks he's talking to here. And this went viral and he didn't expect it. But here's a taste. We Americans love accolades. We have come to see them as the point. And we are happy to compromise standards, ignore reality, if we suspect that that's the quickest way into a better spot on the social totem pole. No longer is it how you play the game. No longer is it even whether, whether you win or lose or grow or learn. It's what's in it for me. Where does this get me? And he goes on. Consider the bigger picture. Your planet is not the center of its solar system. Your solar system is not the center of its galaxy. Your galaxy is not the center of the universe. In fact, astrophysicists tell us, assure us, that the universe has no center. Therefore, you cannot be it. And here's the zinger. Students, he says, the great and curious truth of the human experience is that selflessness is the best thing you can do for yourself. Selflessness is the best thing you can do for yourself. Now, we have choices. We can pursue our idols, often of our own making. We can focus on our own grievances, how easy that is to do. 
we can put ourselves where only God deserves to be, right at the center. Jesus Christ did not come to give his life for people who are special. He came to give his life for people who are just the opposite. And that's what makes him so amazing. Love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He doesn't look at us and see what a wonderful person Brad is, and he's trying his best. I think I'll go and hang on a cross for him. No, just the opposite. Brad is, is dead and blind and lost, and I'm going to give my life for him to bring him to life so that he will be born again and have eternal life. You remember the, the tax collector in the parable, the, the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he beats his breast. He beats his heart. There's one other place in the New Testament where somebody is beating their breasts. It's at the cross. He gets it. He has accurately diagnosed his heart problem, and he's beating his heart. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We have to be honest with ourselves about ourselves. Now, um, just touch on this briefly. You know, guilt is everywhere in our culture. He's guilty. I'm guilty. They're gu- that group of people, they're guilty. Uh, my dad is guilty. My mom is guilty. My kids are guilty. My friends are guilty. Somebody did this when I was young, and that person is guilt. Guilt is everywhere. And, you know, our psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, they know. Or there are those who just are overwhelmed with guilt all the time. There's an answer. Yes, you're guilty. Yes, everybody around you is guilty. I'm guilty. We're all guilty. Jamie Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, says this. What if the opportunity to confess is precisely what everyone longs for? What if an invitation to confess our sins is actually the answer we've all been seeking? What if... We want to confess our sins and didn't even realize it until given the opportunity. In other words, what if confession is the desire of every broken heart? In that case, extending an invitation to confession would be the most sensitive thing we can possibly do for seeking souls. David is seeing himself for who he really is. And he does this in every other psalms too. Of course, a psalm like Psalm 51. But then secondly, he gives like any good poet, any good writer, any good speaker, any good preacher, he gives, oh, let me, he says, let me give you a word picture. Here's what this looks like. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child. 
with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now I'm going to take you back to the old house again, the old man's. There was a man that, that once left the ministry, denied Jesus Christ, that lived in that home. But if you go to the second floor, there's a window. And in that window, people have carved messages throughout the years who've lived in this old home, second floor. In fact, if you look out the window, you can actually see where the Revolutionary War started. You see Lexington Bridge, you know, it's beautiful. But in this window, there are all kinds of scratchings and etchings in this window down through time. And, but one of them is, is particularly striking. It was actually written by, her name is Sophia. It's spelled like Sophia, but her, you pronounce it Sophia Hawthorne. She's actually Nathaniel Hawthorne's wife. And she writes in this window... After having lost a child, a miscarriage, and being devastated by that, man's accidents are God's purposes. Sophia A. Hawthorne, 1843. I don't know, but God has a plan. God is sovereign. God is here. I don't know. Man's accidents are God's purposes. One commentator looking at this passage says, unweaned children cry in their mother's arms until they get something from their mother, her milk. Only then are they quiet, but a weaned child is satisfied just with mother herself. Her very presence. The believer realizes that the reasons God's actions are often so confusing, so opaque, is not because we are wise and he is foolish, but because he is too great and wonderful for us. So great and wonderful, we just don't often, all the time, understand. God is not useful. He's beautiful. Are you using God to get something from him other than him, beyond him? This is what Job learns when he's crying out to God, why, 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 why? Why are you doing this? Why am I going through this? God, show up and explain yourself. God does. And Job says, behold, sounds like David, behold, I am of small account. And Job 40, verse 4, behold, I am of small account. What shall I say in answer to you? I lay my hand upon my mouth. Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, little Old Testament book. He cries and cries out for justice. Look what's going on with your people. Look what's going on with the land. Oh, I hear you, Habakkuk, Here's how I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring in invading armies to crush all these people. Well, that's not, no, that's not what I'd hoped. 
I'm, no, I'm going to bring in invading armies to crush my people. You, didn't you pray for justice? Well, yeah, but not, not like that kind of justice. And yet, Habakkuk can say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength, even in the midst of this devastation. James, James the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, who for a long time is a skeptic, you would be too if you grew up in the same room with a brother who kept saying he was God. Give him a break. He, he was a late bloomer. In fact, there, there's indications that he really thought Jesus was not quite right. Crazy. And he could eventually say in James chapter 2, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of glory. He could come, we could go on and on. One more, Paul, the Apostle Paul, called to minister, to go out, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and yet he's got this thorn, this hurt, this pain. What is it? I don't, I don't know. Take it away. Wait, you're calling me to do this, and yet you've given me this thorn. Why? You ever thought that? You're, God, I think you're calling me to do this, and yet I've got this thorn that might be physical, spiritual, psychological, whatever, and you can't shake it. And Jesus says, no, I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you. No. What does Paul say? Okay, for the sake of Christ, then I am content. There's that word again. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. I'm content in Christ because when I am weak, I am strong. When I am weak, he is strong. He is where I am finding my contentment. We here this morning, you know, we might be <laughs> we might be full of ourselves, we might be too hard on ourselves or somewhere in between. But our contentment, our fulfillment, like these great saints, is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. If you're not a believer this morning, well, if you are a believer, try it. I'm speaking real practically here. Try it. Try it in worship. Try it in Bible studies. Try it in prayer. Try it with Christian friends. And that's where we'll go next. Thirdly, he, he joins himself with those who are doing the same. He sees himself for who he really is. He's honest. He pursues contentment and fulfillment in the right places. And then he says, and then he turns and says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord 
from this time forth and forevermore. Please notice, and we can be bad about this sometimes, he, he goes from I and me to us. My and I to all of Israel. It's an Old Testament way of saying the church. All, everybody, it's like he's saying, hey, everybody, hope in the Lord. Church, hope in the Lord. Highlands Presbyterian Church, hope in the Lord. Christians, hope in the Lord. Let's do this together. Um, in our family right now, I've, <laughs> if, I can, if I can recall, we've got, we've got baseball, soccer, band, chess, ballet, kids, grandkids, all of that. So we're at team stuff all the time. Uh, there must be a recessive gene in one of them or something. Chess team? There's two on the chess team. Chess team. You play on a team. Again, it's pretty simple, but when you come and you play on a team, what do you do? You bring your gifts, your talents, and you do something that's more important than yourself as an individual. We, we, we witnessed that earlier in the service behind me. The, the praise, as Mike likes to call it, the praise team. Reading off sheets of music, looking at the notes and the notations, singing together, playing together to serve you and to lead in worship. God, as I, I can't say it enough, God doesn't need our works, but our neighbors do. Our friends do. Our church does. Our community does. David calls us to that. You remember the priorities of Jesus for us expressed in the great high priestly prayer in John 17? When Jesus says, Father, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. would challenge you. Um, it's probably not the right day with storms and spring break and time change and all that. You know, if you're watching on, on the internet today, if you're watching through a screen, praise God, there are shut-ins. There are people who are traveling. There are people who are ill. But you can't take the Lord's Supper virtually. You can't. You can't be with the rest of God's people and commune with God and one another virtually. There's every reason for you to, for you to watch. Praise God that you are. I hope someday you'll, you'll be with us and enjoy what we're made for. Jesus himself going into the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll hear more about this coming up with Good Friday and Easter. Jesus himself going into 
Gethsemane. Doesn't want to be alone. Jesus himself, the eternal second person of the Godhead, incarnate, is going to go to the cross, but as he goes in the gar- into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going to spend time with his father, do I have to drink this cup? Is there any? And he tells his disciples, please come with me, please be with me, don't desert me, stay awake, pray with me. Jesus wants his disciples to be with him. Do you? Do you want other believers to be with you? Do you want to be with them? Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Be honest with God and with yourself about yourself. Pursue that fulfillment in the right places. This book will show you how. It'll tell you how. And do it with the rest of us. Make it a priority. Um, whether it's a Wednesday night Bible study. And by the way, you can start, you can, you can start your own Bible study. You can do this. If you want to start a Bible study with some neighbors or friends, whatever, recognize if Jesus didn't want to be alone, you shouldn't want to be alone. Want to be with other believers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and its power. We thank you for this a challenge from, from you through, through David um, and, and, and Job and Habakkuk and, and Paul and James. We could go on and on and on. We could go through the entire Bible of those who are wrestling with being honest about themselves and their, their weakness, how they're finite, how they're sinful, how are they, they are need, needy of, of you and, and you alone. And what a picture this is, resting safe in a mother's arms. No anxiety, not being fretful, safe. Lord, some of us do need to be weaned from other things so that we can rest in those arms. Beautiful picture of peace and contentment. And we pray that we would look up and say, Oh, church, oh, oh Israel, um, I need you, you need me, and we're about to see a, a picture of that one more time as we come to the table together, as we commune uh, with one another, as we fellowship with one another. Bless us and prepare us as we come to the table. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.